Laura Bates. Um, I want to tell you the story of Girl Up, um, but to tell you the story of Girl Up is to tell you why I felt like I had no choice but to write it. And in order to tell that story, I have to go back a little way. So um, I'll make it quick because I think a lot of people perhaps have already heard this story, but just a recap for those who haven't. Um, Girl Up grew out of the work that I was doing with the Everyday Sexism Project, which started in 2012. And it started very simply because uh, women and girls in particular were experiencing something on a daily basis that was impacting their lives enormously. But when you tried to talk about it, people told you that it didn't exist. People said women are equal now, there's no such thing as sexism. And it meant that you couldn't talk about it because if something doesn't exist, then if you try and talk about it, you're making a fuss about nothing, you're overreacting, you need to learn to smile and take a compliment. It was just a joke, you've taken it the wrong way, and so on. But in reality, even though people were saying there's no such thing as inequality, everything's fine, and often, interestingly, saying, look elsewhere, look at what women are dealing with elsewhere. In reality, we were living in a country here under our noses where everywhere you look, whether you look at politics, where fewer than a third of our MPs are female, even after the most recent election, where fewer than a fifth of the membership of the House of Lords, people making decisions that affect the rest of us on a daily basis, which is also true, of course, in the law, where only seven out of 38 Lord Justices of Appeal and 18 out of 108 High Court judges are women. But I knew that if I talked to those people who told me there's no inequality with those stats, they'd say, oh, women excel in other areas, it all evens out. So I tried to look into some of those other areas those people might think were bursting with women. I thought the arts is the kind of area they might say and found that it was reported in 2010 that out of 2,300 works, our National Gallery contained paintings by 10 women. That it's been over 14 years since a female choreographer was commissioned to create a piece for the main stage at the Royal Opera House. That of 573 listed statues around the country commemorating people of inspiration and interest, just 15% of them are women. And it became a bit of an obsession. I kept looking everywhere, and, and the pattern repeated. Everywhere I looked, women are one-tenth of our engineers. They're six uh, they're 50% of chemistry undergraduates, but only 6% of professors. They're one-fifth of our architects, but 63% of those female architects say they've experienced sexual harassment in the workplace during the course of their career. Women only write one-fifth of our front-page newspaper articles, and 84% of those articles, the way the world is framed for us, are about a male subject or expert. Women only direct 5 to 10% of the 250 biggest-funded films every year. They only have 28% of speaking roles in those films, but they're three times more likely than men to take their clothes off. Uh, and really just everywhere you look, this carries on, but particularly in this country where we're told, look elsewhere, you don't know how lucky you have it here, look at what women are dealing with elsewhere. There's a phone call to the police every minute about domestic violence. Uh, every six or seven minutes, a woman is raped, adding up to over 85,000 rapes and 400,000 sexual assaults every year. A woman today in England and Wales has a one in four chance of becoming a victim of domestic violence and a one in five chance of being a victim of a sexual offence, with over two women every week killed by a current or former partner. So deciding that the argument that we shouldn't make a fuss about it and women were equal didn't really stand up to scrutiny, I started this very simple website and I asked people to share their stories because I thought we couldn't talk about something if people didn't know the problem existed. How could we begin to tackle it? And as I expected, stories started to come in and then they came in rather faster than I expected. And in the end, I realized that we'd received 100,000 stories in just three years. And people often asked me what it was about the stories that surprised or shocked me. 
And I think perhaps they expected me to answer in a particular way, perhaps some of the more shocking stories we received, and there were many of them. But really there was one thing that shocked me, that blew me away more than anything else from the really early days, and it was just simply this. It was the number of stories we were receiving from children. I thought we'd hear from adult women being harassed in the street or discriminated against in the workplace or experiencing abuse in relationships. It wasn't like that at all, although those stories were coming in, we were also hearing from girls, girls who were nine or ten years old, when they were first being shouted at in the street by men, shouting abuse so explicit that they often didn't even understand some of the words being used. Girls who were 11 or 12 years old when boys at school started touching them against their will, or holding up copies of page three and giving them ratings out of ten as they walked down the school corridors. Girls who were 15 or 16 years old who'd used the word normal to describe men stroking their legs or rubbing up behind them with erections as they tried to get to school on the bus or tube in their school uniform. And at first, this completely shocked me. But when I looked into it, I found that actually, young people are most at risk for a large number of these particular issues. Young people, girls aged 16 to 14, are the single biggest category of victims of domestic violence. The NSPCC estimates that a third of girls aged 13 to 17 have experienced some form of sexual abuse. Around 12% of girls and 6% of boys have experienced some form of abuse in the last year alone. And there are endless statistics to suggest that this is a much bigger problem than we'd like to admit, than we'd like to talk about. We know from a YouGov survey, for example, that 71% of young people hear sexist abuse like slag and slut being used towards girls at school on a weekly basis. We know that one in three teenage girls experiences unwanted sexual touching at school. We know from a recent BBC Freedom of Information request that there were 5,500 sexual offences at UK schools reported to the police over a three year period, including 600 rapes, which if you look at the average length of the school term, adds up to one rape a day being reported from a UK school. And we all know how low reporting rates are for sexual violence. So I started going into schools and universities and talking to young people, and I was completely blown away by the extent of the issues that young people were dealing with, but at the same time, the extent of the ignorance about them from adults. And it really was kind of across the board. It's not only when you look at these kinds of issues, it was things like like talking about careers to a group of seven and eight-year-olds and hearing the girls quite openly say, well, girls couldn't be airline pilots when they grow up because you have to be good at maths and girls make too many mistakes. Quite simply and straightforwardly as if that was a simple fact. Or it was about hearing girls who've been told by careers advisors today, oh no, you shouldn't consider architecture because that's a very long course and it's not very compatible with having a family. Or girls who'd been on A-level politics trips to the Houses of Commons and had a guide say to the group, don't worry, there's a gift shop at the end, girls, and there are cookbooks in there for you. Girls who are getting these messages today, even now, when we have this kind of idea, you can be anything you want to be, there's no problem anymore, this kind of thing isn't happening anymore. But more than anything else, confusion about relationships and sex and boys and about what it meant to be in a relationship, what it meant to be a man or to be a woman. And often it was kind of stemming online, but there were these myths and these kind of grey areas around rape, what does rape mean? You go into schools and you hear phrases again and again, not one-offs, but over and again, things like rape is a compliment, really. It's not rape if she enjoys it. I've been to a primary school where the corner of the playground that was difficult for the teachers to see was known as the rape corner. 
And it started to become clear that these ideas were coming from somewhere. So this is obviously a kind of multifaceted problem, but one thing that was driving it was the fact that there weren't very many conversations happening to offset these myths, but there was information coming from somewhere, and that information was often coming from online. We know from the BBC that 60% of young people are 14 or younger when they first see online porn. So not that only 60% of them have seen it, but 60% are 14 or younger when they first see it. And a lot of what is very online, mainstream online porn, a lot of the stuff that is easily accessible at the click of a mouse is about hurting or degrading women. And this is something you can test yourself if you've got the stomach for it. If you just type in the word porn, hit return, and then click on the first page. I did this the other day, and it came up with extremely abusive and aggressive words about people being destroyed, about underage girls, about rape. It had the caption, punish tube. It was all about hurting women. And so we're getting stories from women who are perhaps... Uh, under, under the age of 16, girls of 13, saying, my name's Nicola, I'm so scared to have sex, I cry nearly every night. Because I saw a video on a boy's mobile phone at school and I didn't realise that when you have sex, the woman has to be hurting and crying. And again, these aren't isolated incidents. I was in a school recently where they'd had a rape case involving a 14-year-old boy and a teacher had said to him, why didn't you stop when she was crying? And he'd looked straight back at her and said, because it's normal for girls to cry during sex. And this is incredibly confusing for boys as well, that we have this massive information online saying this is what it looks like, this is what sex looks like, this is what a relationship is, but not necessarily conversations going on in the classroom to offset that or give other options or opportunities. And so we heard from a young woman in her late teens who'd had sex with her boyfriend for the first time, and in the middle of it, he started trying to throttle her, and she panicked and managed to push him away, and he broke down in tears of relief and said, wasn't that what you were expecting? There is so much confusion going on, and yet there is this idea that we shouldn't give young people ideas by talking about this stuff in the classroom. Still, the government refuses to make it compulsory for anything on the topic of relationships, of sexual consent, of people's rights to their own body to be taught in the classroom. And so what is being taught is often enormously confusing. Either there's nothing going on at all, or I've heard from people who've had sex education lessons. I went into one school where the girls said, oh no, we have had sex there. We had a video last, last week. We think it was from the 80s. Uh, it had um, boys being filmed saying things that they thought about sex. And at the end, there was a boy, and he said, sometimes women get raped, and that's how you get lesbians. And there was nothing else. And one of them said, is that true? And no one had talked about it. It hadn't been discussed. It hadn't been offset. Another group had been given pieces of sellotape only to the girls in the group, and they were told to go around and to stick them on boys' jumpers and then peel them off and then stick them on another boy's jumper and peel it off. And, of course, school jumpers were fluffy, and so it got to about the fifth boy, and the sticky tape would lose its stick and fall down onto the floor. And they were told, that's the lesson that you're learning today, that if you sleep with too many boys, then you'll be ruined. That's kind of the level of some of the information that is going on out there. And, it, again, I don't think it would be so problematic if it weren't for the fact that this is this other wealth of information that they are getting. We're not giving them the tools to understand how to navigate that. And what I found was that when young women were talking about this stuff, when they did try to explain what was going on, they were talking to grown-ups who sometimes thought that what we're talking about when we talk about young people being exposed to online porn is a girly magazine, but online. 
or uh, a girly calendar, but online, or uh, an FHM centerfold, but on a website. And there wasn't necessarily an awareness of what was going on, and the same was true for sexting, for sexual pressure, for online abuse. The responses that they were getting were things like, well, why do you need an Instagram account? Or can't you just turn off Twitter? It's a lovely day outside. Or, oh, just don't reply to him. Delete his number from your phone, which wasn't realistic in terms of the landscape that young women are living in. And this is very much something that was affecting girls at university as well. These are just a few headlines from the last few years alone. But clearly there is a huge amount of confusion around these issues and we're seeing that erupting in the headlines. We're seeing it in the boys being filmed chanting about rape and miscarriage on a bus at one university and going out in casual rape t-shirts at another and being taught chants at necrophilia at another. We have to talk about this stuff. But we also have to talk about it and address it on a level that firstly makes it possible for those who aren't in this world to see it and understand what's going on. And secondly, that doesn't talk down or give young people solutions that don't really fit in the world that they're living in and that was what I wanted to do with Girl Up and the moment I knew I had to write it was I was going into school and I was talking about feminism and often when you talk about feminism in a school and you ask people to put their hands up if they are one you'll get a smattering of hands if you say put your hand up if you believe that men and women should all be treated equally then everyone puts their hands up and you say okay if you've got your hand up now you're a feminist and then all the boys go and try and pull their hands down but sometimes you get one girl who'd say, I'm a feminist. And the level of kind of animosity that she'd get and the level of comeback, there was one girl who said she was a feminist in one school. And after I left, she sent me an email saying, the reason I call myself a feminist is because of this sexual assault that I experienced in the school context. And she sent me some of the messages that she'd received after that assembly, after admitting to being a feminist in front of her peers. And the abuse that she received afterwards was horrendous. It went round the school that she was a man-hating bitch, and you can imagine it kind of spiralled from there. And often I was meeting girls like this who were thinking, actually, maybe this isn't okay. Maybe the boys shouldn't be shouting to get back in the kitchen when I raise my hand to answer a question in class. But there wasn't that support for them to be told, no, it's not and it's all right for you to stand up to it instead they were just kind of having a pile on so I wanted in Girl Up to try and have a real kind of problem and solution sort of oriented approach something that gave people something to hold on to and an approach that they might actually practically be able to use and the book deals with issues around career and mental health um, all sorts of things but I've just picked out three elements tonight to give you a snapshot of what I mean by problem and solution. So here's a problem, um, an example for you of what has become known widely as an unsolicited dick pic. Um, this is one that was sent to a woman who uh, really didn't appreciate being sent it, so put it on the internet and shared it with other people, which is where it fell into my hands. But this is the kind of thing that young women are seeing and experiencing on a regular basis, and it isn't always necessarily a stranger. It might be someone they know and actually saying, just turn off your phone or just don't reply doesn't necessarily provide them with any social currency. And so we wanted to come up with some actual responses that you could send if you were sent an unsolicited dick pic. If a picture of a man's penis pinged unwanted into your inbox. Um, the kind of thing that wouldn't necessarily lose you social standing to send back. This is my favorite. And it was about that kind of approach, not a dictatorial, this is what you must do, but you know, here are some options and it doesn't necessarily have to be the black and white two options that as a girl you're provided by society. 
And another major issue when you talk to young women is body image. We know from the all-party parliamentary report recently that girls are five when they first start worrying about the size and shape of their bodies. The quarter of seven-year-old girls has dieted to lose weight and 80% of 10-year-old girls. And this really hit home for me after I went into a school and I asked young people to create these pictures on one side saying what they look like now and on the other side what they'd like to look like if they could wave a magic wand and change anything about themselves. And as you can see, this is definitely an issue affecting young men as well. Some of these stories that came back made it really clear that body image is increasingly a pressure for boys. But the boys also really varied in their responses. Uh, there were all kinds of other things going on, uh, all kinds of other things on their mind. This is my favorite because he didn't mind at all that he had a carrot for a nose. <laughs> he was happy to keep that. He just wanted some magical powers. But sitting on the train on the way home and going through these, I started to realize that the ones from the boys were quite varied, and the responses that had come back from the girls were the same over and over and over again. And so I wanted to set out with a book to talk about the way that the um, media doesn't present us a diversity of women's bodies, to talk about airbrushing and Photoshop and its impact, but most of all, to set about to try and destroy the link between self-worth and body shape that is foisted on girls from such a young age, to really try and attack the idea that your body is who you are, that whether or not there's a two-inch gap between your thighs is how you should be valued as a person, and so on. And the last problem that I've got to, um, as an example for you tonight is the fact that we're so used to seeing these pictures. We're all so used to cock and balls. We know exactly what they look like. I saw one on the back of the toilet door earlier today. I was giving this talk in Newcastle a few days ago and a girl in the lecture theatre was pointing down at the desk in front of her where there was one. Sometimes it can feel like penises are everywhere. Uh, we're so used to seeing them from such a young age, scrawled in our textbooks or scribbled on our desks. But what really shocked me doing research for this book was realizing amongst young people of all genders how little people knew about the vulva and the vagina. Um, and this is kind of very much something widespread in our society. Apple, for example, will allow you to engrave the word penis on the back of your iPod, but not the word vagina and so on. Um, and I really became aware of this kind of disparity in understanding of the basic anatomy um, when this study was published where men had been asked to draw pictures of vaginas, and these were grown men, I should say, not even young men. This is as good as it gets. As you can see, there was some confusion. And people found it very difficult to um, answer, which made me realize that perhaps it was time for a color by numbers diagram, which is what Girl Up includes, which is hopefully helpful to people of all ages. Uh, genders and sexual orientations. Um, but also I felt like actually, you know, we've seen a lot of cocks and balls in our time, whether it's on the bus or on the back of toilet doors, and maybe it was time to have some more accurate information about parts of the anatomy like the clitoris, which in some of the schools I went into wasn't included in the biology diagram because it wasn't considered important for girls to know about it. Um, and you know, just to redress the balance a little bit, actually to redress the balance quite a lot. Um, but what I hope that these diagrams give you a sense of is that this book is not all doom and gloom, and there's a very specific reason for that, and the reason simply is that this is not a generation of young women who are downtrodden and oppressed. This isn't a group of silent victims. This is a generation of young people who are incredibly powerful, incredibly strong, witty, standing up together, finding their own ways of fighting back, and I really wanted to communicate that in the book because what I've seen again and again in 
and my experiences of going into schools, of meeting young people, is that all they need is that spark to let them know it's not normal, it's okay to fight back. All they need is that moment of feeling like it's not alone and that spark of inspiration that they're not alone to realize that they can stand up to stuff. And as soon as you get these stories coming back from girls who have stood up and then you share them more widely, immediately others say, I'm going to use that, I've said that too. We had a girl who was 11 years old and was the only girl out of a group of 10 in her science class. And the boys used to say to her on a near daily basis, you're rubbish, girls are rubbish at science, that's why you're the only one in the class. And in the end, she said one day she turned to them and said, actually, 10 people isn't enough to be a statistically significant sample. Some scientists you are. Um, Brilliant, right? And, and fodder for others, for other young women. We heard from another young woman who was walking down the street and a man started shouting abuse at her from a nearby roof where he was working, uh, shouting about her breasts. So she went over and actually challenged him and wasn't very successful. He actually just started shouting worse stuff. So she sh shrugged gently, took down his ladder and walked away, leaving him up there to think about what he'd done. But most of all, the stories that we got back made it so clear, and when I went and talked to young women, that the number one thing that made a difference was letting them realize that they weren't alone. And you see this absolutely vividly when you realize that when several of them stand up to something together, it completely changes the landscape. And that was what I wanted to do with Girl Up, to give them a book that said, you're not the only one, you're not crazy, that was a lifeline to hold on to after the speaker's gone home and the rest of the school is saying whatever they're saying. When you think you're the only one, to realize, actually, there are other girls out there and they're fighting back as well. Because it's when girls stand up to one another and when they're just given that little push, that little bit of permission to realize that they can, that amazing things happen. And I want to finish by leaving you with a story that really was what made me realize this. And it's a story of a school in London where a group of girls emailed me and they said, when we come into the classroom, the boys in our year shout out numbers, three numbers out of 10. And it took us a long time to work out what was going on. You'd walk in and they'd shout eight, nine, two, and after a while, we felt like we could talk to each other about it after feeling initially quite embarrassed and kind of shrinking a little bit and keeping quiet. And we realized we worked out they were shouting out a number for our faces, one for our breasts, and one for our bums. They were rating us out of 10, but for the pieces of us. And they said, actually, we were online and we found this Tumblr about everyday sexism. We saw a story on there about some girls in America who'd been told that they couldn't wear leggings because it was distracting the boys in maths. So they came in the next day with placards that said, are my pants lowering your test scores? And these girls said it made us realize that we could do something like that as well. So we wondered if you'd come into the school and talk to the boys in our school about sexism. So I went in on the day, and it was a big assembly full of people, a bit like this room, and I thought, I won't mention who's asked me to come in, because such is the kind of animosity about these issues that it's often very difficult. Girls who ask me to go into their schools often don't want anyone to know that they were the one that asked. And I went in thinking, I'll just hide it, I'll just pretend I came in by coincidence. These girls were sitting, 11 years old, six of them, arm in arm in the front row, linked arms together. They'd had t-shirts made, which had a quote printed on the front that said, I want to live in a world where I'm judged by the content of my character and not the pieces of my body. And they sat there together and it was because they weren't alone. It was because there were six of them, they felt able to stand up. And it really is just that sense of you're not alone that I wanted to capture in Girl Up. And as the people filed out after the assembly, they had an anti-harassment statement that they were making all the boys sign. And it was only when I went home that night and took the t-shirt off on my way to bed that I realized on the back, because they gave me one of the t-shirts, on the back it said, I am 10 out of 10. Thank you.